Well, my name's Devin. If we haven't met before, I'm part of the teaching team here at Infuse. Get to teach with a lot of great people, including pastors Taylor and Stephanie. Um, grateful to be up here. Grateful for all of you. Uh, we have some really good things to celebrate as part of Be Rich, and I will give, I'll give it away first. We did make it. Yeah. Which matters because we're going to be able to give out checks to a bunch of really amazing things, and because it's all of you who gave and followed Jesus, and just like Pastor Taylor and Stephanie said, it's just really encouraging to see a group of believers follow Jesus in this way of giving to help support our community and just be part of our world and help a hurting world. So I'm going to talk a little bit about that, um, but first I'm going to tell a story about why sometimes we don't feel as good about the things that we do to help a hurting world. Uh, and I was reminded of this yesterday as we're out in the backyard playing. This was pre-snow. It was still gloriously non-snow. We're cleaning stuff up, getting ready, because we had had like just that light dusting yesterday morning. We're like, I get the wood inside and all the toys and all of this. And, the bo- and I will the boys. We'll just, we'll just say, I was going to keep their identities safe to protect the innocent, but they're not innocent, so we'll just put it out there. Um, so boys are playing. I have two little girls, two older boys. Boys are off playing. They're, they're having a good time. The girls are having a good time mostly. And then, of course, something happens, and you want, you want better for them than this, but it's, it's kids, which my wise and patient and kind wife always reminds me of. The one is building this little lattice work of, of sticks, on the bottom of the slide, and you can just imagine what's going to happen to that stupid lattice work of sticks. At the bottom of a slide, it is inevitable that it's going to get bonked or ruined or somehow. So the, the one who had built it, it gets bonked somehow by the other one, and then there's great sadness in the land. And then it starts the downward spiral of, well, he ruined my thing, so I body-checked him to the ground, which was natural. That's just like a consequence that you get. I'm like, no, and then we talk talk through it like we just want it this is the way you deal with those things you can forgive you can move on you don't have to forgive right away but it's going to be better for you and then the other one's like violence is never the answer buddy it's not going to help and then you go back to he goes back and rebuilds the lattice work and then the other one who's been body checked to the ground goes and gets the stupid wheelbarrow and knocks the thing over and it's great it's great i didn't even see that happen but i just saw him with the wheelbarrow and then there was noises i was like ah here's the thing so the other one is then like, and it's saved up because he's not, he hasn't seen this yet, but then I tell him about it and naturally, kaboom, sadness, the end of the world. And so we're just in that space, right, where nothing is good. And as a parent, I feel that deeply because I'm like, could I have done something different? Should I have talked them through this better? Should I have like, how are, but they're also seven and five, which again, my beautiful and kind wife reminds me of, they're seven and five, they don't have the skills for this. But the gap that I feel is like, it, I just want it to be better for you. And I was reminded of this by going to, of all things, a Disney movie with them. We go to the Disney movie Wish, which if you haven't seen it, it's like a pretty decent, it's the 100th anniversary Disney movie. Uh, but there's this part where it's, they're singing a song, as they always do in Disney movies. And it's like, I wish, uh, I wish for something, I wish for something more than this for us, right? And it's like that longing of, I want better for all of us. And I felt that deeply in my soul as the children were requesting it for the fifth time of like, yeah, I do want better for you than this, than fighting. And there's those times where they're like playing together and happily building Legos and doing whatever. And you're like, this is what I want for you. 
But maybe that's not it for you. Maybe you don't feel that gap in your soul because you're not in that place in life, um, but you probably feel it somewhere else, right? Like maybe you're at work and your coworkers are not happy with each other. Maybe you feel it with your spouse and you like, don't look at each other, if that's the case. Um, but maybe you feel it somewhere else, like with one of your relationships, or maybe you just feel it about the state of the world, right? We are, it feels like if you pay attention to the news in some way, shape, or form, you will feel that gap of wanting more for us collectively than what we have right now. And I heard somebody, and these are all good things to want, like you just want better, Um, but I heard it described recently as like a cancerous restlessness, right, of just like wanting more and more and more. And it's no wonder that we feel that way because we have been primed as a society to feel that way by beautiful pictures such as this one from some ad sometime for Legos. And what they are telling you, because they taught me this in business school, like they teach people how to do this as an art and a science, and that is to make you feel like you're not happy as a family, right? And so if you give your child the Hulk Buster, it's terrifying that I know that, Iron Man Lego set, then they will be happy, right? That is the, the promise behind that image, is that whatever the thing is, and if you think about all the ads that you're getting this time of year of like, uh, imagine it's summer and you see somebody grilling, right? If you buy the grilling tools on the grill, suddenly all, your whole yard will be manicured. The people in the backyard will be happy. You will be happy. Everyone will be happily fed because you just bought that one grill item. This is absolutely not true, but that's kind of what they're selling us on, right? It's like all emotional manipulation, for lack of a a better term. And the fundraising industry, which if you have looked at your mail recently, you have probably gotten a letter, something like this, and I'm not knocking any any sort of thing. We are doing this right now here as a group of human beings. Um, We're serving our community, we're giving, it's not a bad thing. But I want you to be aware that things like this, they're identifying a gap, which is a really real gap. Like there are maternity care deserts and the crisis of access and equity. That is a real thing, and that matters. But, you get, but if you read everything that you got in your mailbox, right, you would start to feel this giant gap in your soul. Like the world is not as it should be. We are not as we should be. Things are not as they should be. And that is a hard, hard place to live, right? We all feel that weight in some way, shape, or form. And some of us deal with it by just like moving through it and being able to take control of the situations we can control. Some people deal with it by seeing the things that they want different and just like feeling the need to control and to want and to change. Um, And there was a term for that back in biblical times, which I recently learned about called the evil eye. And it's not like the symbol or whatever it is. It was that idea of looking at the world with a need to control and to own and to put your own will on the world versus being able to accept that somebody else is, that God is in control and able to deal with the world the way it is and that you need to follow, and that we can have the chance to follow Him. But it leaves you with this question. All of these things leave you with the question of, what can I do in the face of all of these things? And the question I want us to ask ourselves, too, is in the face of all these things, we did a, we did a great thing, and we're going to talk about, we're going to hand out some checks today, and we're going to celebrate, and we're going to be joyful. But if you spend too much time with this question, you're going to come out of Be Rich, we're all going to come out of Be Rich and be like, but really, what did we do? Like in the face of all the things 
that we are dealing with as a society, as people, as human beings, what can I actually do? Um, so we're going to turn back, way back in the Bible to Leviticus, which is a not often read piece of Scripture. There's a lot of rules in Leviticus. There's a, a joke where it's like, what's the story of the Bible? And it's like, exposition, God created the world, the fall, bunch of rules, and then you move on to more story. This is within the bunch of rules section, um, but there's some really good ideas that God had for us in there. It's a precursor to a little bit of thanksgiving, a little bit of what we're going to do today, and a little bit and a lot of how we can deal with that sense of restlessness and not having the world the way it should be. So we're going to turn to Leviticus 23, 1 through 4, uh, and uh, it is a section where God is laying down how the ancient Israelites were going to live their life. Uh, he had brought them out of Egypt, gotten them, and forgive me if I'm getting these details, I'm trying to remember exactly where they were. I think they were at uh, Mount Sinai, and God is laying out all these rules through Moses of like, this is how a good life can be lived. This is how you can live the good life as a nation of Israel. So he said to Moses, speak to the Israelites and say to them, these are my appointed festivals. Party. Okay, great. The appointed festivals of the Lord, which you are to proclaim as sacred assemblies. So we're going to party, but it's also going to be a sacred thing. All right, the next thing is, there are six days when you may work, but the seventh day is a day of Sabbath rest. We've all heard about that. A day of sacred assembly. You are not to do any work. Wherever you live, it is a Sabbath to the Lord. Great. These are the Lord's appointed festivals, the sacred assemblies which you are to proclaim at their appointed times. And here's some festivals. I think we have more. Or is this the end? Oh, yes. So I'll tell you a little bit about the festivals because there's a whole bunch of them. It is party central, right? We had a whole bunch of them. There's the Passover and unleavened bread. And if you've been around the church, we celebrate. We're going to celebrate a little Passover here today, the follow-up of that, right, where they remembered the fact that they were freed from Egypt and were able to come out of um, there because the Lord passed over them, but not the, not the Egyptians. That redemption from death and a commitment to simplicity and trusting God's power. Um, and there's also a festival of trumpets. There's a day of atonement. Uh, there's the Feast of Tabernacles where you live under a tent for a while. Um, all these different feasts that happened seven times throughout the year. So remember that number. Um, every seven days you Sabbath, and then there's these seven festivals throughout the year to celebrate God's provision and kindness and goodness. But then every seven, and then every seven years, there were certain additional things that you would do. But then every seven, seven years, we get to 49, and then the 50th year is this year of Jubilee. They cannot verify based on the historical, like the biblical story or historical record that the nation of Israel actually practiced this thing, which is really interesting. But the idea was that every 50th year, which is like once a human lifetime approximately, unless you're real lucky and you get double jubilee, it was a time that God set aside for the nation of Israel to forgive every debt in the land. So if you had debts on the books, every one of them was canceled. If you had bought land from somebody's family, you would give that land back because especially back then, land, like we're a little closer to it than most of the nation, but just a reminder, land was the basic economic engine. If you had land, you could at least feed yourself and then have the potential to generate wealth. If you didn't have land, you were out, right? You were going to be working for somebody else. You would eventually end up indentured in some way, shape, or form. And it was a chance for the whole land to rest and to let the fields go fallow and to trust that God would provide everything. This is probably a really difficult 
<laughs> this is a difficult thing to do, right, where you trust that God's going to take care of all of you every 50th year because you're going to let all of your fields lay fallow, which means to not sow them, to not put anything in them, and that you'd stored everything up for the last 49 years. You feel like you could plan for that, right? You've got 49 years to plan for this one year of rest and, and celebration and uh, living off of whatever's in your storehouse, which is the same kind of principle as every seven days saying, hey, we're not going to work today. We're not going like, to be tied to the economic engine of the world. We're just going to rest and relax and worship and trust God that the other six days, the stuff that we put in, how He provides, is going to provide for us. And it was a radical reset of society based on forgiveness, that forgiveness of debts, the forgiveness of what you owed to your neighbor. It was sharing with foreigners and strangers of inviting them in, of freeing them from their slavery, uh, even though they didn't really belong to the nation of Israel. And if you read Luke uh, 4, 14 through 21, Jesus uh, sits down in one of the synagogues as he's teaching very early on in his, in his ministry, and he reads a passage from Isaiah, which I would encourage you to read all of Isaiah 60, 61 when you get home. It is a really life-giving, affirming passage of Scripture where Isaiah is prophesying about what the, like, life with the Messiah, what is the kingdom of God going to look like, um, and the prisoners are freed, and then debts are forgiven, and tears are wiped from people's faces. It's all those things, those gaps that we have in our soul that we feel about the way the world is, the way we are, the way other people are, that we care about, are with each other, he sat down and he proclaimed, that's now. My coming is the answer to all of these things. And then he closed the book and he went on his way. And there were probably people who were like, oh, that's cool, he read a section of Scripture. But there was a chunk of people in that room who were like, wait, he just said he's the Messiah and he's the answer to all of these problems. And that's when people started paying attention, being like, this guy's saying, we really need to see if he's actually who he says he is. Because that was a really radical thing back then. But again, I encourage you to read Isaiah 61. That's the year of Jubilee. And so we fast forward to Jesus, and he says, I am the year of Jubilee. My coming announces a different way of being, a different way of being around the world. And as uh, his followers started living that out, as they started living the kingdom life, all of the things that he talked about and the ways that he said, you can follow me because it's a different world uh, by following me, by trusting me, by trusting that I'm going to take care of things. The way Paul put that later and what we've been talking about with Be Rich, it comes from 1 Timothy 6, 17 through 19. And I'm just going to read it again um, for those of you who haven't been here. Maybe this is the whole thing that we're basing this campaign where we raise a bunch of money and we give it all away, it's based on these verses. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. And what Jesus, what God was saying back with the year of Jubilee, what Jesus was saying with his coming, what Paul was reflecting as the remix of what Jesus had to say is that the rich life, the, the good life is not, or the rich life is not a good life, is not the good life. Like that's, that's not going to get you there because wealth and the things that we have, the things that we own or can hold on to right now for this present moment 
aren't going to last, right? They're not going to give you the good life. And we talked about that a, a couple of weeks ago here as part of Be Rich. What will change your life, what is the good life, is that kingdom life, is that life of following Jesus and trusting that when you forgive, when you walk next to people, when you give and are generous and are generous to do good deeds, that is what the good life consists of. And that's why we do what we do. That's the kingdom definition of wealth. It's right there in what Paul said, to lay up riches for ourselves in a real sort of way. It's defined by forgiveness, by service, by joy, by gratitude. And gratitude is something that transforms us, right? And we can be grateful for the most simple things. If you went through Thanksgiving in any sort of traditional American way, you were grateful for a couple of things. You were grateful for a bunch of food, right? You were grateful for your family around you, and you were grateful for the opportunity to nap on Thursday afternoon after you put a bunch of food in your body, right? That's the good life. It's a good life. Um, but that's built on generosity and kindness. Um, and generosity or gratitude really grows our contentment. If you really focus on those things that you have, like those bare, not the bare necessities, but those core things, that simple life that God gives us, it grows contentment, and it invites action, right? If you are content with what you have and you're grateful for what you have, you want to share that with other people, and it also celebrates, and that's what we want to do here today and be reminded of the fact that we can celebrate because Jesus has come and He has good news for us. He has proclaimed the year of Jubilee. We still have that gap, but it's not on us to fix it. It's not on us to answer all of the questions. It's not on us to solve the problems as we talked about last week. It's on us to love, to be content, to take action, and to celebrate when we do that. And so, if you're moved to action, if you've got warm winter clothes, there's an opportunity to go out to the hallway and grab a tag for CCA, the Clear Creek Amanda District, for those of you, well, most of you all know. But if you happen to be in Cedar Rapids and didn't know CCA, probably do. Sorry. Um, or you can grab, thank you for sticking with me with that, um, or you can grab uh, for Hoover Elementary and bring those. If you've got warm winter clothes, that invites action to make sure that other neighbors have warm winter clothes too. Those kids who come to school who don't have the snow pants or the hats or the gloves. If you've been forgiven, you forgive others. If you've been blessed, you act as a blessing for others. So I want us to take a moment, and we're going to do that last thing. Today is a day of celebration. It's good news. We're happy. This is Thanksgiving weekend. We're going to go downstairs and eat here in a little bit. But I want to celebrate that all of us were able to raise $45,241. So we set this, our original goal of $40,000 and worked with the missions team to say, hey, how can, ask, can you go out and ask our partners, ask some people in the community what we can do with that $40,000 to change some lives. We set that based on the fact that last year down in Tiffin, we were able to raise $20,000. Like, double seems like a good number. Um, but this encourages, every year this grows a little bit. People continue to be generous, continue to make those sacrifices like we've talked about um, to get us to this number. There are some really really generous people. There's some people who are giving, um, who have given for the first time, and that's such an incredible thing too. People who are giving beyond what they have in last year's, people who have continued to give, and I want to celebrate all of you because those are kingdom hearts. Those are people who, living, who are living in a kingdom way. It's not about the dollars that come in 
from any individual person. Though if you made an extra effort and are trusting God extra, that is a celebration in of itself too. We want to celebrate all the winter clothing that we've already been able to hand out because there are kids out there who are going to be warmer because of what you have all done. We had 48 individuals and families that participated in getting us to this number and plenty of others who I'm sure have been part of giving out the hats and the gloves and the coats and the mittens. Um, and we just want to also want to celebrate that this is this year, right? We've, we did this this year, and we're going to hand out a couple of checks here in a minute to some organizations, and we've already done that both with Ken from Haiti as well as the Birdhouse uh, down in Iowa City. Um, but this is after a number of years. Like, we've done this for a number of years, too. Last year, we raised over $20,000. The year before, we raised over seventeen. I think it was. The year before that was twelve. I didn't do the math, if anybody's really smart and fast, but that's a bunch of money. Sorry. <laughs> and it's really incredible. And again, the dollars are less important than how we've been able to support people and care for people and build relationships in our communities. So I want to invite Susan up here, who is part of the missions team, and Katie and Vonda. Um, and Katie is from Foundation 2, whose shelter house, as we've talked about, is just two blocks that way. Um, here at the end of service, we are taking a cut of all the food, a cut, uh, a portion of all the food that we have uh, downstairs, and we're bringing it over as the first fruits of food to go support those folks over there so that they can have a Thanksgiving meal today. And Vonda is here from Families Helping Families. Um, so Susan, if you want to give them checks, and we can applaud for them and all the work that they do to support families. Yeah. You want to give her the checks. Perfect. You want to give her a check as well. <laughs> Can I take a picture of you three ladies? Beautiful. Awesome. Thank you so much for making time to come out yeah, here. Thank you. Yeah. I hope that this is a long-lasting relationship. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Thank <laughs> you, guys. Yeah. Yeah. We're neighbors. These are our neighbors. Please help celebrate them again. And yeah, it's good to see you. Thanks, Susan. All right, so I'm going to end this thing. We're going to do communion. We're going to pray. The band's going to come back up. Um, but I just want us to read this and slow down a bit again to remind us of why we do this and that it's not just this time of year, right? We're, we take a moment to give and to be kind and be generous, and that's why we get all those solicitation letters because everybody's like primed a little bit more before gratitude. But we do it because Jesus commanded us to. And he told us it's the good way of living. So going back to that be rich verse again, I could throw it up on the screen. I don't have it memorized yet, which is terrible. We'll get there. Uh, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. And I pray that for all of us as we move forward today, as we go on in our lives, that we can celebrate those moments where the other people in our lives are doing good, where our hearts are changed, and we can take that one action where our kids do the thing where they forgive in that moment, the one time you're like, that is so awesome. And to, and to, um, to 
to speak that truth and that life and that goodness into their lives and our own lives. And that'll change us and transform us and bring that year of jubilee that Jesus said that he was here for. That's available for us, all of us. And I pray that each of us takes a hold of that. So we're also going to do take a moment to commemorate, uh, to do another celebration. It's more of a somber celebration, but it's still a celebration of what Jesus did for us. We're going to do communion today. And if you don't have one of these little cups, if you're a Jesus follower and you want to partake in this, um, some folks have those in the back. They're going to bring them up. This is my first time doing communion, so bear with me, everybody, if you would. I need to find, there we go. I'll say it right. Got to do it right. So when we gather as Jesus followers, one thing that we do, one key thing that we do to remind ourselves of who he is and what he did for us is to take communion together. As others have done over so many years, other Jesus followers, so we get to do again this Sunday. And especially in light of how much we have to celebrate as part of the kingdom, this is an opportunity to remind ourselves of who the king is and the path that he took through life for us, how much he gave and how generous he was for us. We get to celebrate freedom and grace and hope and new life and so much more because of how much he was willing to sacrifice for each of us. So join me in communion today. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. We're going to go downstairs. We're going to party a little bit. It's going to be great. We have so much to celebrate thanks to a God who loves us so much and gave so much for us. I'm going to pray. The band's going to come up and close us with a song, and Jess is going to invite us downstairs. God, thank you for all the reminders of who you are. Thank you for this season, even with all the things that have been added to it and changed and, and adjusted and all the, the noise that we get with this season. At the core of it, you're still there. You've always been there, and you always will be there could have come to earth in a blaze of glory and done it all in a shot, but you came as a baby. You came as a child. You lived life the way we live it, with the aches and the pains and the struggles, with seeing relationships broken, seeing relationships mended. You walked with us in that. Continue to walk with us. Lord, today, help us to celebrate the fact that you came to declare the year of Jubilee over our lives that our lives can be different, that we have things to celebrate, that that gap that we feel between how things are and the Eden that you made in the beginning, that's coming again. We can be part of it. We can live that kingdom life. It's not going to be perfect because we're imperfect people. This is an imperfect world, but it can be better because you're with us and you've given us so many promises. So Lord, guide us through this holiday season. Help us to remember you and help us to follow you. In your name we pray. Amen.